This episode is brought to you by SoRare. Stay tuned for more information on them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, if there's one thing we love on the Wolf of All Streets podcast, it's a guest with a bullish prediction for Bitcoin. And Dan has recently said that Bitcoin is likely headed to 500K. Dan Tapieri was the CEO and founder of Tenti Holdings, a private equity fund that focuses on investing in the digital asset ecosystem. Dan was early and his bullish macro thesis on crypto led him to be an early stage investor in many of the companies we all use today, like Kraken, Ledger, eToro, and many more. But having Dan on, I hope to dive into his thoughts on the future of crypto innovation and the stories that are driving the markets today. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Scott. Great to be here. Great to be here. So listen, I recently had Mark Yusko on the show and he made an amazing point, said that he was always investing on the side of the criminals by being early. He gave the example of the internet originally being quote unquote for porn, that crypto was originally for drug dealers and criminals. Do you share sort of a same feeling and investment thesis being early? Well, not really in a sense. (laughs) I love Mark. I've known Mark, you know, at least 15 years. Uh, You know, he worked very closely with Julian Robertson for a while. Uh, when he was at the UNC endowment. And again, my, you know, first real job uh, when I was uh, young was at Tiger working for Julian in the global macro group. And, um, you know, I I come from a little bit of a different background. I mean, Mark, of course, you know, managing that kind of endowment, very institutional, uh, very focused on asset allocation. And I was in the hedge fund, macro hedge fund business for, you know, about 20 years. And so, you know, running a portfolio, acting as an analyst, and again, I, a little on my background, I mean, I was at Tiger, and then I worked for Michael Steinhardt, and then eventually Steve Cohen and and Stan Druckenmiller, and, you know, that was 20, 25 years there, deep in the trenches, uh, you know, running a portfolio, sort of 24 or 5 currencies, bonds, emerging markets, uh, anything, commodities, where there was a sort of an opportunity um, but it was really, um, you know, more from this macro uh, analytical framework. And so I, uh, unlike Mark, Mark focuses, you know, as you said, on, on being super early. I leave the super early for Mark and Andreessen and all those other truly genius guys. Uh, I'm looking more to make a bet on the growth in an overall sector. And so for me, Launching 10T was about building a portfolio of mid to late stage companies that, you know, names that I thought were de-risked, that um, I thought were not going away because when you invest early stage, you know, you have zeros in your portfolio, not something I was very comfortable with. And as you mentioned, and this has been out there publicly, the 10T portfolio is we have Kraken and eToro, but also you know, Bitfury and Huabi, Ledger, Figure, Deribit, Helium, Figment, Animoca. I mean, these are, we think, we have three buckets that we invest in, uh, digital asset ecosystem gateways, next generation financial services, and blockchain infrastructure businesses. And the first two funds that we launched, we've got two or three businesses in each sector. And so, these are already companies, my minimum threshold for investment is about $500 million in market value. But of those companies I mentioned, um, eight of them have values over a billion. And so these are companies that have already figured out how to win. 
They already have established like moats around them, making in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. I don't think I'm investing next to any gangsters or you know nefarious actors. These are all real businesses, hundreds of employees. And basically, I, you know, I have this view, and I know Mark has the same view that at some point in the next five to 10 years, all things of value will be will sit somewhere on some blockchain in the digital asset ecosystem. And it's just a wholesale transformation, not just of, you know, store of value. Um, and I, I think we're starting to see, you know, a huge increase in the number of use cases, uh, as they call them in the space. Um, and the digital asset ecosystem has been expanding, deepening, broadening, like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, like no, there's nothing I've ever seen grow uh, at the growth rate that we've seen in the past sort of six to 18 months. Most people enter this space as skeptics though, early, right? Yeah. So what was it that finally convinced you that everything of value, every value transfer could happen on a blockchain? Because that's a pretty big jump from, you know, uh, from something nascent and early that uh, is almost non-existent in the first days. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And I think that there is this massive hurdle for people to get into this space. Uh, I'm not sure why it's so massive, um, but it is. I mean, I think it, it's generally difficult to understand, um, you know, but for me, look, my light bulb moment really came, you know, I fell down the rabbit hole in uh, early sort of in late 18, early 19. Um, I'd been aware of the space, a gold company that I started in 0809 called GBI Gold Bullion International. In 2014, integrated with a firm called BitReserve, which today is the Uphold Wallet. That firm, we were the first to a uh, place where you could buy and sell physical gold to buy and sell Bitcoin and Ripple. And so that was my introduction back in 14. And I was, you know, I was a macro guy. So it just seemed like small. It was interesting. I didn't really understand it. I thought it was more sort of like what I call like a play thing for technologists. And I just, it wasn't something I, I really... You know, I, you see the word algorithm and all of a sudden, like I jumped back from it. Like I, I figured I wouldn't be able to understand it in, in, in a deep ways, but then in, in a deep way. But by 1819, it was already a little more established. And as you know, it had that big move into 17 and then it dropped 80, 90 percent. And just as a macro guy, I'd seen that happen in other markets. And that really is the time that it either goes bankrupt, zero, or it's a buying opportunity. And so I fell down the rabbit hole uh, in, in that moment and did the deep dive. And what I realized was, and I hadn't before, was that the Satoshi white paper, those eight pages, was really a solving of a math problem that had been solved for literally hundreds of years, this Byzantine generals problem. And I'd never heard of it. I didn't know anything about the history of cryptography. I, you know, and again, it's the problem of distributed trust where two counterparties uh, can trust each other without an intermediary. And again, I'd never thought in those terms, right? It never occurred to me. And so then I realized, I thought, my goodness, this is like an invention akin to the invention of the combustion engine uh, or a discovery like the discovery of electricity. There's 30 years of real academic work behind this. And 
you know, this is transformative. And so that realization, um, combined with a bunch of other things, but that one put to rest in my mind that, oh, this is a Ponzi scheme. Oh, this is for nefarious actors. Oh, this isn't real. And I said to myself, wow, this is really real. And why was I such an idiot back in 2000, you know, 13, 14, not to really go whole hog into it, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I didn't, but, um, you know, I think the other thing that prevents people from believing in this, as you say, in my mind is that, you know, it's very age uh, dependent. I think sure. it's very hard for someone over 50 or 60 to even think about money, digital money, right? And I think people under 30 and certainly now 20 years old, they have no problem thinking about, you know, value represented digitally in a video game. You know, they've been playing, you know, video games forever. Millennials spend, I, I think I read somewhere eight hours, or the Gen Z, eight hours a day online. They live online, their lives are online. So why wouldn't they have their money online too? It just makes so much sense versus a 60 year old guy who still is like, you know, not even that comfortable on the internet, right? So I think it's, there's a huge divide. I'm sure you see that all the time, right? When you speak Absolutely. And I sit right in the middle, right? I'm 44 years old. So I think I'm right on the cusp of both of those worlds. Um, and I think what you just described, as you aptly put with a six-year-old might also not quite understand the internet. I think that that age divide is not specific to money being digital. It's just specific to technology, right? Every uh, older generation struggles with uh, the technology of the younger generation. The same with my parents and the music I listened to and how we did it, right? Right. Yeah, so oh, no surprises sure. there. But for you, you know, a lot of people coming from global ma macro never have that light bulb moment. And so I'm curious when you talk to your contemporaries, how do you define the asset class? Is it, is it another commodity? Is it a digital gold? Is it peer-to-peer -peer cash? When they ask you yeah. questions, how do you describe that? Yeah, it's, uh, there are actually now some macro guys who have come in, not the older ones so much. You saw last year, Paul Tudor Jones wrote that fantastic eight page paper about um, Bitcoin as the fastest horse. So you see my background here, this painting, The Fastest yeah. Horse. Uh, again, it's one of my favorite paintings as well, the Stubbs uh, painting. But anyway, the point is there are people, I mean, Stan Druckenmiller came out and said he owned Bitcoin. He owned Bitcoin though, because he saw that people in Silicon Valley and the tech people were making a lot. And he said, you know, they think it's a store of value. So I think it's gonna go up because they're making a lot of money. Um, and so I think there, there are people who are coming to it, um, but it's just, it's very difficult for them to get over that, that hurdle. And if they do, they understand maybe that Bitcoin is digital gold, you know, maybe because there's a finite amount and the expansion of the central bank balance sheets means that fiat currency is expanding almost infinitely. So they understand supply is increasing a lot and on the one hand in fiat, and it's not in Bitcoin, okay, but that isn't necessarily giving them comfort to make to take a big allocation. And so even the guys who kind of get that, you know, they're at five or ten percent. They're not like the twenty-three-year-old who's ninety, you yeah. know, who's one hundred and ten percent long. And not just Bitcoin, but you know, Ethereum and Solana and who 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 knows what else, right? Um, right. So I think that what this really is is a new 
uh, asset class. And I think the way that you can think about it is if you think about something like the mortgage-backed market in 1980 or 82, you know, a nascent market, uh, very early stage. I think it's still early. Um, you know, when I when I founded this fund, the digital asset ecosystem had a $300 billion value. And that is Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the crypto and all the equity value in the space was about 300. And I said to myself, I think we can do 30X in 10 years. So that's why I called the fund 10T, right? 10T is 10, 10 trillion, trillion market cap. in Love 10 it. years. And what's happened is, is that I've been wrong. I'm going to be wrong because we're at 3T today. And that's just two years ago. So we're probably going to do a lot more than, you know, a 3X, 7T more in, in the next eight years. And so, um, you know, if you think about any early stage market, uh, U.S. Treasury bond options in 1979, right? That's how traditional people should be thinking about this. And we do a great, we have a great chart in our presentation that's about the ABS markets and the astronomical rates of growth, let's say in the 80s and 90s, in those markets. And you're looking at like 60% CAGR, you know, for years, right, as it grows. And this has been even greater. Bitcoin has gone up 250% annualized <laughs> for 11 years. It's the greatest return of any asset in the world. It's like people who are doubters, I get the first five or six years, but it's already proven itself. I think that's one of our advantages being sort of as like you, I'm a little bit in the middle um, of the two generations. You know, uh, I, I think this is already established, right? Like Great. if I had a 10 year track record of 250% annualized, uh, I don't know, right? <laughs> I, I, like, that's, that's pretty good. Like, what are you doubting? It's, it can't be zero anymore. To right. me, there's zero chance that this is zero. And when someone, anytime someone says, well, it might go to zero, uh, no. It's, it's lazy. It's lazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Lindy effect, Metcalf's law, network effects, however you want to define it. Bitcoin clearly isn't going anywhere. And if it was, like you touched on earlier, if it was going to zero, 2018 was the chance, right? I mean, we, we, we would have probably Absolutely. seen it and then. It, didn't, it wasn't even close. I no, mean, it was not even close. Yeah, not even close because still, like you said, the annualized returns, all that price action happened so quickly that even the floor was higher than, uh, than it had been a year or two before. So it was not really as significant as people look at it when you kind of view the roller coaster. Um, you could have approached this market from a number of different ways with your background, obviously. It seems that you took the pick, picks and shovels approach. Why is it that you decided to focus on investing in these companies rather than you know, aggressively trading the assets or maybe you're doing both, but why was yeah. that your approach? Yeah, no, I'm not. Not I, I think this is the one asset, unless you're 24-7, 365, you do not trade this asset. I, I do not trade it. I allocated what I wanted to allocate initially in Bitcoin and a little in Ethereum. And um, this is not something uh, that you survive. And I, I had a lot of experience trading and this is by far would be the hardest asset to trade uh, to figure out the squiggles. This is a buy and hold. You buy it, you hold it for five to 10 years. And so, you know, what I thought myself was, well, starting a fund that, you know, owns Bitcoin and just says, that's not very interesting. I have that in my own entity. Um, and what I saw though was 
tremendous intellectual activity in the space, the smartest sort of, and most entrepreneurial people between the age of 20 and 35 are in this space. They're not going to Wall Street. Uh, they're not going to legal firms. They're not, they're not doing it. They're in this space. And I thought, okay, well, let's investigate this. Wow, there's a very vibrant ecosystem of companies and a lot of interesting projects, et cetera. But I'm not a technologist. I'm not a venture capitalist. I don't like the risk of a VC portfolio. Not to say that those things don't work. It goes up hundreds. You know, the VC performance in the space has been astronomical, you know, up hundreds and thousands of percent. You know, Solana was at $2 in January. It's now $150. That's wonderful. I'm thrilled for everyone who's been involved there, um, but it's just not the kind of thing that I do. And to speak to, you know, the investors in Tenti are all basically my friends and people from my network uh, of, you know, all those years in the investment world. And I wanted something really simple to explain. And I said, listen, we're only going to, you, you understand private equity. You all have some private equity in your portfolio. We're going to own uh, private equity in mid to late stage companies that are already established, have already figured out how to win, really straightforward. And if I had started to introduce, yeah, it would have been nice to own, you know, a few of these early stage projects and uh, get involved in, in some of the more nitty gritty. But I just think that it would be difficult to explain. Uh, my, I've got a great team. We've got five analysts, people who have been in the ecosystem, deep in the weeds, you know, we can do that analysis, but um, too hard to explain. And also like, I feel like we're a gateway for the legacy people. It's easy for them. I read you the portfolio, uh, easy for them to say, you know, hey, I know some of those companies, those guys, they're making hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. I look at that portfolio and I say, on a five to 10 year basis, could that go up five to 10 times? Sure. sure. Okay. I don't make a thousand X like some of the other guys. I'm not focused on these early stage things. That's fine. Right. Also, some of my investors actually are not allowed to own cryptocurrency. So they've been looking for a way to get exposure to the sector um, and just haven't found it. The last thing I'd say is this portfolio of companies will have a dramatically less uh, volatile exposure than just directly in Bitcoin or Ethereum, which I think are safe. I think everyone should own them. There's no question in my mind about them. Uh, the other ones are more venture projects. You just, you just don't know yet. And I don't have, I don't want to make that judgment. I want to own a company like, you know, Kraken, for instance, that's leveraged to all of the value uh, of those cryptocurrencies or a company like Ledger that has exposure to all the value in the digital asset ecosystem, because as things become valuable, you need to take them off the platform and have them in cold storage. Sure. Your NFT that was worth 50 bucks a year ago, that's now worth 2 million, you're not walking around with that on your phone, if you're smart, right? You have it on your Ledger. What's that? So some people might be, unfortunately, but yes, I, I, like I know, it, uh, but if you're smart, you know, yes, correct. When something gets to a certain value, you need to secure it on your ledger. And so each of these different businesses we own is leveraged to the overall growth in the value, dollar value or Bitcoin value of, uh, of the ecosystem. 
And so it's just a lot easier for me to explain to people from the legacy world. And those are our investors. And I, I feel like I'm also bringing in a whole new group of people that would not just entertain it and hopefully increasing network effect and just getting adoption to much greater levels. Cause I really think that once adoption, you know, gets past a certain level, as you know, only 2% of the world today have crypto wallets. Um, I think then, you know, it becomes more established. And then also, and this is more specifically speaking about the United States, then the regulators and the legislators, their constituency will be Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto owners. And then we'll start to get some real proper, you know, regulatory oversight or whatever you call it. I mean, I, I this sort of is a segue into the next, my next thought, which is that, I mean, I really think uh, the, the what's gone on in the US in the last few weeks has been, I don't want, you know, has just been terrible in my mind. I, I think the US is potentially in a position to really lose, uh, you know, a step uh, in financial and technological innovation. Um, other countries in the world uh, are moving ahead and very quickly. Now, China is not, they have their own problems. <laughs> but look, um, you know, the US doesn't understand 90% of total volume is outside of the US. Correct. Like the US can go to zero in volume terms, and it's not going to matter for this ecosystem. This is the most decentralized, I call it the first true global macro investment network, most decentralized network, certainly network of value in the history of the world. And we are going to, you know, clamp down and, you know, not, I think, not do the work. I think the people here have not done the work and it's embarrassing, uh, frankly. Don't you agree? I mean, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports as much as I do? So Rare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. So Rare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and all built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player like me. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. You can do all of this at thewolfofallstreets.link slash SoRare. I agree 100%. I mean, Gensler flat out said in his Senate testimony, listen, there's 6,000 of these coins and we're understaffed, but they're probably all securities. Talk about admitting that you're not willing to do the work. They're just going to put a blanket regulation on all of it because they're not willing to look deeply. I agree with you. And it sounds like, even what you're saying, we have a bit of a chicken and an egg problem because... Once we have adoption, yeah, they'll, they'll be forced to deal with it. But right. we're now in a position where they're going to regulate it far before we have adoption. And maybe well, we get the heavy-handed regulation in advance of that opportunity. Well, maybe. I mean, I, I hope not. Um, you know, I think there's also an opportunity here for some of the leaders in the sector. You know, you saw what happened with Coinbase. And I think Armstrong is trying to, you know, reach out to people down there. I think you know, the established guys in the crypto space, very eager to work and help explain and teach more so than in any other industry. I mean, this is, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, this is a very, um, this space embraces uh, outsiders. 
it's not it's not difficult to penetrate. Uh, you know, you you try to learn something from the guys in the banking system or legal system or accounting system. I mean, it's impossible. People here will reach out. And I am sure that if DC reached out to some of these, the leaders, you know, you've got Novo Galaxy, you've got some of the, you know, they would have no problem building uh, a group of intelligent people to help the legislators get to where they need to, to understand that this is really one of the most groundbreaking inventions certainly in the financial world and in the, in the history of money, right? And that the United States, which has been the leader uh, in this area uh, is going to put these blanket generalizations and rules without having done the work is, it is embarrassment. We have the smartest, best people in the entire world in this country, most innovative. Um, you know, I say this is like the mortgage backed industry in 1980, we invented that, the securities market there, um, you know, and this is the first time that we're not at the lead, right? 90% of it is outside the US and we're gonna potentially set ourselves back here. So um, I, just, I just hope, you know, look, I, being in the, coming from the traditional world, you know, even the Federal Reserve has a shadow private market committee. I mean, there's a shadow Federal Reserve a committee that meets that that's composed of you know well-known portfolio managers and investment bankers and they get together and they talk about monetary policy um, as they see it in you know as practitioners okay none of these regulators are practitioners none of them are on metamask none of them are you know moving around their their coin staking or not staking or or trading or being involved in any of these things they don't um and so because of that, they don't see the innovation in the space. And maybe they're protecting you know, the existing constituencies. But I'll tell you this, look, the United States should have nothing to fear. This is a truly free market. Capital is moving to the digital asset ecosystem because money wants to be free. And right now in the legacy world, it's not free, it's overregulated, the US, I think overregulated everything after 08 because there were a few actors who got out over their skis. And I just, it's, it, it's a shame because we really are, uh, we really do have the ability to lead here, right? Yep. Um, but they should be reaching out to people who really know, who have the knowledge. Listen, you know, to some of these guys. I mean, listen, how many Antonopoulos's podcasts did you listen to when you were falling down the, the rabbit so hole? What, so 10, 20? 10, 20, yeah. Yeah, I mean, read the books. Read Safadian Amos's book. Read Jan Pritzker's book, Inventing Bitcoin. Read these great, you know, these great right. pieces that have been put out there, right? But Gensler taught this. I mean, yeah, well, you're, maybe you're absolutely didn't. right. But if you're talking, yeah, I guarantee that Gensler's read the Bitcoin standard, at least I would okay, imagine, well, but he clearly okay, doesn't get it. But, but maybe he didn't. Okay. Yeah, and maybe even if he did, maybe even if he did, he's now a politician and yeah. it's not clear who he represents. Uh, in my mind, I don't know that he, 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 you know, I don't know who or what he represents. I, I don't know who or what he is. I just know that Either. some people in that group, that organization, wherever, whatever, just sounds to me, okay, like they haven't done the work. You said it yourself, right? They just don't look like they've done the work. Yeah. So, 
you know, do or the that work. they intend to, or do that they the intend work. to, right? Yeah, I would hope that they intend to, but you know what? This is the most complex world that I've ever investigated. It's the most complex investment. The space is deepening and broadening. It's fully global. I mean, look, there are more nodes in Germany than there are in the United States. Right. Think about that. And there are three times the number of people here. So the, the Americans need to get through their head. This is not an American, this is a global development. And if we want to cut ourselves off from it, you know, the rest of the world is just going to go charging ahead. Okay. And so as the, you know, the premier country in the world on all sorts of metrics, uh, you know, we need to at least do the work, right? I think, I, and if yeah. after doing all the work, they still think that they don't want it and that they don't, you know, whatever, that's something else. But, you know, engage with the people here uh, who are deep in the weeds, who can explain, uh, and again, I, I'm sorry if I've gone off on this tangent. No, please, it's my favorite bit, tangent. <laughs> I, really, I really feel like, um, you know, we're potentially uh, at a place where we could do ourselves damage. And again, as you said, it's a chicken and egg. If Metcalf's law can kick in fast enough and you start to have every congressperson have a constituency that owns Bitcoin or crypto, then we have a game changer. Because then what happens is the people, okay, actually get a say. And this is right. not going to be from the top, from you know a few guys who are academics or whatever it is who are saying, this thing or that thing, it'll be the people, the groundswell, Metcalf's network effect kicking in, people saying, this is what we see as the future. Let's figure out how to incorporate it, right? Yeah, but that's such an unfortunate indictment of how our system operates, isn't it? The fact that it has to be a political threat, right? The politicians have to fear losing their job to care enough. That's really, I mean, and that's really, and I'm, Look, I'm not I saying mean, that's what you said, that's really how it is. Yeah. Democracy is what it is. And, you know, it's that famous Churchill comment. It's the least bad of all political systems. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think it, it, you know, it is what it is. And, and I, I, I it, it may be unfortunate, but look, look how much wealth has been created in this country. The standard of living has increased dramatically from 30, 40 years ago. I know everyone complains about everything. That's the thing when you have free speech. Uh, everyone wants to complain about everything. It's just human nature. Um, but you know, when you step back and look what's been built here and how people lived 40, 50 years ago, how they live today, um, I mean, it's just been tremendous. And you know, I, I think anytime that we thwart the capitalist process, anytime that we stop free markets um, from working, from letting you know, freedom really um, kick in and let it work its magic, we get set back, right? I mean, we remember yeah. as kids fighting against that communist and socialist threat. I grew up with all of that. And the yeah. fact that, you know, we have guys who are thwarting this process. Let, look, America has worked. Let the magic work, right? Again, this is a tangent, my own political, uh, not, it's not but even political. I, I just no, I don't think it's show, political. Right? It's just rational. I, and, and the fact I always make the argument when I go on other people's podcasts that Bitcoin is the last free market, the crypto is the last free market, because we're so far beyond 
obviously stocks being a free market. I mean, everything, people love to make the indictment of Bitcoin that it's manipulated because whales can move price, which by the way, is the definition of a free market in my mind. But manipulation is money printing and Fed policy and buying stocks and providing a floor for bonds when otherwise there wouldn't be one. So as much as it's a dream, we lost the free market in the United States a long time ago. We, we, I think we did, unfortunately. Um, but I would, yeah. And I do agree with you about Bitcoin being the only free market out there. This market, okay. And I said this in March of, uh, of 20 as well, but this market has had seven corrections of what, 70% or more since yeah. inception. And it survived and people have killed it off and it's not going anywhere. It is a store of value. It is extremely valuable. It's a, what is the valuation today? It's a trillion dollar valuation. Roughly. Uh, to me, that is way too cheap. This gets to the headline. Of course, I said Bitcoin could be worth three, four, five hundred thousand. Um, I, I said that two years ago. I said it at the bottom in March of 20 when it, 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 it sold off dramatically like 30, 40 percent and in two days. So this is the only true free market. It will survive. It is strong. And I think now it's proven beyond any reasonable doubt. Okay. There's no banning it. There's no getting rid of it. There's no government that is going to ban it. China completely shut down mining this year to zero, as we know, and it hasn't had any material effect that I could see. We should be encouraging these businesses here in the United States, we should be incentivizing them. The miners now, as we know, a lot of them have moved to Texas, a lot of rational actors there in Texas. I hope that we could become, you know, the mining powerhouse. Like, I, I mean, and we're going to do it with renewables. Everyone is still, uh, you know, it's the same old FUD that they throw out at everything. You know, oh, it's going to use more energy than this. Or, oh, a government is going to ban it. Anytime someone asks me that those questions, the first thing that I say to myself is they haven't done any work because we know in the space, there are probably 10 to 20, 50, at least great pieces of research that have been written debunking those arguments, right? Right, right. I mean- they're, But they're great least. headlines and, and, and they're great headlines. And it feels like our politicians and uh, the regulators at this point are much like your like crazy uncle on Facebook who reads a headline and just uh, extrapolates all of his knowledge about a certain topic from one headline. Right. I mean, like, and I'm not, I honestly, I'm not a very political person, but you get like Elizabeth Warren, who's literally just like vomiting headlines, right? right. More, the, the ones you said, more more power than the country of Pakistan or Argentina oh, and only used for criminals. And it's the same recycled thing. And it takes five minutes to understand and do the work. Like you said, yeah, clearly well, the theme I mean, of this podcast is do the work. Well, you know what I, but, but you know, Scott, what I would say though a little bit is I, I sound like I, I, I'm blaming them or whatever it is, but you know what? I, I do have some sympathy because they're they're older people. Yeah, they don't care. And it. they're not they're not internet native or crypto native. And it's hard. Okay. It's hard for a 60-year-old person. I don't I, I don't I don't care how smart or successful they are. It's hard to really understand what's going on here. It it really is. It's such a it's a you know the the number of disciplines that come together here. This is not just yeah. finance or economics you know, sociology, psychology, 
Um, it's just, it's so many different things, cryptography, science, math, computer programming. I mean, most of these people, went, they, they, there was no computer when they were growing up. It's really tough. And so like, I know us in the space were like disappointed at them, but they really need our help. Um, you know, they really, you know, and I, and I, again, I've never seen such a welcoming space. You can't tell me that if, you know, some of these people reached out to people in the space that they would be turned back. They would not be turned back. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's just incredible. It's, I feel like it's almost an evolution in the way humans, you know, will interact with each other. I mean, I, I, I you know, there's so much going on here. Look, I think that I, I think Gen Z I read recently spends eight hours a day online. Now, the people who run this country need to understand that they're living online, right? All things, they do social things, they buy and sell things. You know, digital value uh, is as normal and as, as normal a concept to them, you know, as a breathing air, right? So we have tremendous real structural change in our society and culture and we can't let, uh, well, you know, we can't let. I just hope that the people who are at the helm uh, in DC spend the time, reach out, talk to people, uh, and really understand this thing so that the US isn't, right? Well, I mean, if they don't get it I, now, again, wait I'm sorry if I've gone off on No, I love it. Here, wait, and if they don't understand it now, wait till they get a load of the metaverse in five or 10 years. <laughs> Forget about five or six years. I wow. It's there now. And, you know, the growth and the value of NFTs is up 100 times from summer of last year. Think about that. 100 times. Like this exponential rate of growth in the space is what we all, I think, are having a little difficulty dealing with and comprehending. So I know I've been harsh on the regulators and on the, the you know, the leadership, the, the, the politicians, but it's, it's honestly, it's not really their fault. You know, even people in the space are having a hard time keeping up with the innovation. Oh, myself and, included. Yeah. Right. Sure. I mean, it's, it's really been, yeah, it's been difficult. So uh, I may not have sounded like the most welcoming guy, but I, I honestly, um, well, I, 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 I think it's away. the opposite. And our, and our portfolio and the investments that we will be making in the future are, is leveraged to that innovation and growth globally. And we want to own businesses that are global, right? Because this is, this is a new phenomenon. Sure. In no way do I think it actually sounds unwelcoming. I would say it's quite the opposite. I think that our industry and your tone and mine is just come talk to us. Right. I mean, it's literally, right. it's literally the opposite. Coinbase, you have Gary Gensler on one hand saying, hey, guys, come into the office, talk to us. We want to discuss this. And then when you have a company like Coinbase that walks into their office, presents something in advance, discusses it, the Lend product, and is threatened immediately with litigation when they're trying to offer a product that's only 4% interest when 10% is the industry standard. So that double Absolutely. standard makes it impossible for a company, I would imagine, to want to run over to Gensler's uh, office hours, as he likes to call them, yeah. to discuss well, this. Right. And what happens is 
companies say, you know what? 90% of the business is outside of the U.S. Hey, you know what? We're not going to do business in the U.S. That's right. All the now, exchanges. <laughs> that would be a catastrophe if the, if the leading businesses in this space decide that 90% of the business is outside the U.S., we're just not going, we're just not going to have a presence there. Um, long term, that would be very, that would be very, uh, you know, uh, that would be very discouraging. And uh, I hope that, you know, that won't be the case. So, so you talked about the fact, obviously, you had a gold fund previously. You come from global macro. No, actually, and, it's not a gold fund. It's a physical gold business. We sell right. and store physical gold. Um, the vaults are outside of the banking system. It's a, uh, it's understood. Um, yeah, yeah. Go do you ahead, think that? Do you think that? Uh, not to, <laughs> no pun intended, but the gold is losing its luster. Obviously, we're seeing in this environment since really March 2020. We've seen obviously Bitcoin bottomed, but pulled a 17x from there, right? From under 4,000 to, to 65,000. Gold's been a little bit less exciting. People don't really talk about it as much. Do you think that people are truly viewing Bitcoin as digital gold and that's where that money is going? Or do you think that this is just part of the gold cycle and eventually it has its yeah, moment? I Look, maybe some money went to Bitcoin, sure. But I think it is part of the, uh, it is part of the cycle. I think Gold is really the only true hedge left within the legacy system. And so, you know, I think institutions actually will start coming to gold. I know I've said this for the last 18 months, and I think it's true to some degree because the bonds uh, are negative real yielding uh, and yield such a, a small amount, they don't really act as a hedge to the asset side of your portfolio. So, traditional portfolios, which have been 70, 30, or 60-40, that's equity bonds. For, since 1981, that's been a great exposure. Every time you've had a wobble, I've said this many times, in the, in the equity market or a wobble in the economy, your bonds, uh, the appreciation on your bond portfolio helped offset that. Those bonds are not going to appreciate anymore. They are not going to help you if things slow down. The equity market decides to go sideways or lower for a few years. I don't see that, but if it happens, you don't really have a hedge. And I think gold is that hedge. And so I think if you're within the legacy system, you don't believe in the digital asset ecosystem, you're long a lot of equity, that's your only exposure. So I don't see gold going away. It's been around for 5,000 years. It has a great track record of maintain, maintaining its purchasing power. No, it's not going to outperform Bitcoin. Again, the back look behind me, Bitcoin is the fastest horse. There's no question about that. But uh, I, I don't. I just don't see gold going away. And actually, my gold business had a record year last year and a record six months. So I think the debasement going on in global fiat that we see through the massive expansion of global central bank balance sheets. Uh, I think gold. The supply of gold is increasing at an infinitesimal amount every year. It's a very simple argument to make. Gold is not increasing in supply. Fiat is increasing massively. You know, owning gold uh, is going to do is going to do well in your overall portfolio. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. So before we before we get done, there's just one more thing I wanted to ask you about, which is what are you personally? I mean, you've obviously invested in all of these companies. I'm curious, not specifically companies, but what are you looking at and what are you most excited? What do you see coming over the next couple of years that you think uh, you'll be putting money into? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I. Um, I, I sort of follow Stan's old dictum, Stan Druckenmiller, I worked for, 
who uh, used to say, I like to put all my eggs in one basket and then I watch that basket very carefully. Sure. Now, I, I, I mean, that, I'm not saying I, I'm doing that, but this is my full focus, 100%. Um, you know, we're going to be building another portfolio in this space um, that is gonna be all new businesses, different businesses um, that I think represent what I call sort of the deepening and broadening of this digital asset ecosystem. So, you know, we're moving beyond now uh, Bitcoin, uh, more than just Bitcoin as a store of value or Ethereum, you know, as world computer, which was talked about in 15, right. 16, 17. And right now, the number of use cases in the space from, you know, stable coins to, you know, and, you know, dollar value locked in DeFi to NFTs, the value being captured there, um, to just the uh, massive explosion in, in volume, uh, the borrowing and lending. Remember, this is all global. Okay, it's 24 7, 365. It's in every country around the world. Uh, and the pace and acceleration is just like nothing we've ever seen before. And so, just I'll give you one example. I'll leave you with this. In our space, in one year ago, exactly September of 2020, there were 14 businesses that had a valuation of over $1 billion. Okay, today they're about 70. Okay, so our, you know, ecosystem of businesses, our, uh, you know, world um, that we invest in has completely exploded much more than I would have ever thought. And there's a very diverse, very exciting, flourishing uh, ecosystem that is, is growing, again, at this exponential pace. And the portfolio that we're going to construct uh, you know, that we are constructing and will in the future um, will be leveraged to that growth. Because as an investor, I feel like, you know, this is really the only place of sort of true alpha for a macro investor. But um, there's so much going on, Scott, I feel like I don't really have time to do anything else. I mean, I feel like we're just sucking from a fire hose. We're way behind uh, you know, we probably have a pipeline. There's a bigger pipeline than we have money. And we put $700 million to work in the last five months in this space, <laughs> 700 million. And I feel like our pipeline is much bigger than we have capital. So it just, th there's nothing really else to do. And in, in my mind, it's just, you know, you can diversify in the space you know, you can have your traditional exposure to equity if you feel like, um, but I think every, uh, every investor needs to put in the time, focus here, start with buying Bitcoin, learn Bitcoin, understand it. Everything in this world is, of course, as we know, a derivative of Bitcoin, um, you know, is code that's been, you know, hived off. Then try it. Make your make a go at Ethereum, right? Safe advice. And yeah. then and then start looking at all the activity, right? It's same it's approach incredible. that I exact so. approach that I tell people. Just right? buy some Bitcoin, yeah. man. Just buy it. Just Transfer try. it. Just you try. Have, you don't have to buy a lot. Buy one dollar. No, buy hundred bucks, man. Like yeah. just, right, hundred bucks. Like you know, no one's forcing on you. Oh, okay, it's got the best track record of any asset in the history of the world. 
you know, don't worry, you know, don't worry about that. Don't let that excite you, right? <laughs> just, just try it, see what it's like, learn, read, dip your toe in, and it's going to change your life, right? I mean, I agree. I t it just changes your life, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter how rich you are or not, there's no, there's, there's no wealth gap here. In my mind, you either own Bitcoin or you don't. Right. And it doesn't matter whether you own a dollar or a hundred million dollars. I, I right? absolutely agree. I think that's a great way to conclude. Where can everybody keep up with you uh, after this? Where can they follow you and oh. potentially uh, get in touch with you about the fund, the next fund? <laughs> well, you know, there's uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, DTAP cap, and then, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And uh, the, our website is uh, 10tfund.com. Pretty straightforward. And um we're just going to continue and stay focused and, and try to like make sure that drinking from the fire hose doesn't drown us. <laughs> well, it's hard <laughs> not to be bullish when you hear about all the money that's flowing into the space and where it's flowing in from, regardless of what the price is at any given moment. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective and obviously uh, giving us a bit more perspective on what's actually happening on the regulatory side and that making it clear that all of us need to ourselves do the work to convince our politicians and uh, get out there and make sure that we see some sensible regulation. So thank you very much. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Scott.